0: Well, good morning, church family. It's great to be with you this morning. I'm Barrett Bowden, lead pastor here at Island Community Church, and uh, I just want to extend my personal welcome to you for worship today. I know this is a strange time that we are in, and uh, I know that you're worshiping in a kind of different way this morning, but I am truly grateful that you have still made the choice to worship. God's word says, seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I want to leave some space right now for a moment of prayer. I just want to pray for us. I want to pray for you as we uh, begin our time in the Word and continue our worship today. Father, we are coming to you today, Lord, seeking you. Lord, we thank you so much that you have made yourself available to those who seek you in earnest and sincerity, and Lord, who call out to you, Jesus. Lord, we desperately need help. We are broken, and we cannot help ourselves God, we need help from outside of us. Lord, we need help from you. And Lord, the only help for our hearts, the only hope for us is who you are and what you have done and your great love for us and your great mercy and by your great grace from start to finish, giving your son Jesus to live, die, and rise again so that in him we might have renewed life with you. Lord, we need you. And we come to you today, Lord, with sincerity, seeking you, Lord. Help us, Lord, not just to go through the motions of this time, but truly, Lord, with our hearts right now to seek you. We need you, Lord, and we want you more than anything. Thank you for your word that is alive. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that is able. Lord, we come to you thanking you for your gospel that is true. For your grace that is sufficient. So Lord, we give you this time and we pray, Lord, that we would know you more. And we pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, if you got your Bibles today, I would ask you to open them up to the book of Hebrews this morning. That's right, to the book of Hebrews. And uh, we are so excited this morning. I'm getting my Bible open as well. We are thrilled uh, to be able to launch a new series today today. Uh, that is called Jesus is Better. Jesus is Better. And this series is going to last us about 12 weeks um, through this fall season, and is designed to help us really walk through the book of Hebrews together. Um, how many of you have studied the book of Hebrews before? Show of hands. Okay. Um, some of you may have, some of you may have not, and that is totally cool. Um, one of the, the great privileges I have as your pastor is just to walk through the Word of God with you. Over the last months, uh, we have been teaching in the Word of God week to week, but we have primarily teaching, uh, been teaching topically, and that is because of the weird time that we've been in. We really felt like God put it in our heart to really help minister to you in particular ways through this unique time. But even though in many ways the pandemic continues, uh, we're still praying for a vaccine. We truly ask more than you do anything else. We need to be people of prayer, uh, continue prayer during this season. But um, things are beginning in some ways to normalize. And we just felt like it was right and good for us to get back to just going through books of the Bible. That's typically what we do here. And I am thrilled to be able to... Uh, announced today that we are beginning a study through the book of Hebrews. So everybody got your Bibles open? Yeah? Um, Today we're kicking it off. I had some friends come over yesterday, uh, David and Vicki Fraser. Uh, Many of you might know them. Uh, David is on staff with us here at ICC, and they had just gotten back from a vacation in the Grand Tetons. Uh, Anybody ever been there? I'm not sure. I haven't. But literally, they were sitting with us, and they were like, they were so excited about what they had just done. They had pulled out their phones, and they were like showing us pictures. They were like, look at this. And, and then we went over to this lake, and, and look at this. And whoa, we, we walked this way, and then whoop. And they just were talking about all the things that they had seen and how good it was to, to just lay eyes on beauty on these majestic mountains, on this this, these views of lakes and gorgeous trees and interesting uh, stuff coming up from the earth and steam and they were just like amazed by all they had had a chance to see and I want to tell you as we start the book of Hebrews today the book of Hebrews is literally um, the writer writes to us almost like David and Vicky were describing to me their vacation yesterday like but his view is on Jesus and he just writes to us going, whoa, can you believe this? I mean, and then you turn the corner and you look at this and you're like, whoa, what? And then I, I walked a little further and then I saw and I was like, what are you t- I have never seen anything so amazing in my life. And literally he's like holding up images after image after image to us and just saying to us, look at Jesus. He is wonderful. And and. David and Vicky were telling me yesterday how good it was for them to get out of the ruts that they had been stuck in here in Memphis, how good it was for them uh, to to, to just go and to see something different. And I really believe, one of the reasons that I feel so excited about the book of Hebrews in this season is I really believe in this season we need to get back to the Word of God in a serious way and to get our eyes out of, I mean, my goodness, all of us, this is such a weird circumstances that we've been in and a season that we've been in and routines that we've had and the culture around us and things going on. And we need, we need majestic, awe-inspiring, amazing views of God, of Jesus Christ, of what is true, of what is real, of what is to come. We need this book. And so I'm asking you with me, I, I pray you'll be leaning forward on the edge of your seat. Everybody get something to write with right now. Get note notes open, whether it's on your phone or you know, kids, if you're at home, whether it's a piece of paper and you can color what Pastor Barrett's talking about this morning, or maybe if you have a notebook uh, with you. I want us. I'm asking. I'm just asking um, for us to be serious about really studying the word together in this season, and serious about fixing our gaze on Jesus. Um, Hebrews is an amazing book. It's complicated, okay? So some of you may not have ever studied Hebrews before because it's complicated, and it is. It's complex at times, but that, it doesn't, it it shouldn't make us um, shy away from it because I really believe it's one of the most beautiful books in the Bible, and yes, I say that about every single book that I teach, but I I really mean it. Uh, There is so much goodness for us in God's Word, There's so much goodness for us. Some of my my most memorable moments of personal worship, and I'm speaking personally here, some of the moments of personal worship, y'all know when you have times in the Word and you just get overwhelmed by the Spirit of God and you get led to Jesus. Some of my most memorable moments of personal worship have been as I have opened the book of Hebrews. Some of my favorite Bible verses in all the world come from this incredible view of Jesus Christ. And so I'm I'm just excited, and and I'm asking that you be excited too, and uh, we'll go through this together. Let me put up on the screen um, an introduction kind of of the book. I'll go ahead and tell you now, um, I can tell you that the font that I used has not been loaded on the computer. I can tell that right now. And so I apologize to you, if anything gets cut off on the screen, uh, we will... I will work to explain it, okay? But I just wanted to give you that heads up uh, just in case something looks funny. But there's a little bit of information here on the screen just for you guys to know about as it relates to uh, the book of Hebrews. We really don't know um, who wrote the book. And honestly, it's not that important. Um, We know that it does belong in the Scripture, But the reality is, the author doesn't identify himself. There's people who speculate about it. Um, Some people say it looks very Pauline. There's a lot of evidence that you could say, well, there's some things that that feel familiar, but there's also some things that just don't feel familiar to, to what Paul has written. And one of the main reasons is Paul always includes a personal greeting at the start of his letters. In this letter, the writer doesn't identify himself. It is a personal letter. It's clear the writer uh, knows uh, people who he's writing to because there's personal names that are written throughout. And I guess one of the biggest clues that we could say is in chapter 2, the writer does identify that he gets his information from one who has been firsthand with Jesus. Uh, I don't think Paul would have probably described himself that way, so it's probably an understudy of one of the apostles Uh, Paul described himself as an apostle, so it could have been Apollos who Paul had encountered, or it's likely could have been Luke who was with Paul or even Barnabas. But the reality is it, it really doesn't matter as much because the truth of it holds no matter what. So we know it's an understudy of a direct apostle of Jesus, okay? Now, he writes to what we know is a church. We don't exactly know where they are, but what we do know is some things about them. We know that they're an urban church uh, primarily because this book over and over and over and over and over again uses the imagery of city to appeal to the readers. And we also know that this church had to have been in a pluralistic society because it's clear as the writer is writing the book that throughout the book, there are, th- there are encouragements not to drift away, not to doubt, not to, to turn to another system of relating to God because Jesus is the only way. He is the truth and he is the life, the only way to God. And so we know that in some ways they were in a pluralistic area and we have to assume that there were either a majority or even just some representation of Jewish background people Because in the book of Hebrews, and one of the things I'm really excited about is is this, there is just constant reference to the Old Testament. So whoever he's writing to has some reference with the sacred scriptures of the Jewish faith, the Old Testament. And he's using those references, that knowledge of the Old Testament, and relating the fulfillment of all of those things to the person of Jesus. So that's a little bit about what we know of who wrote it and who he's writing to. Now, we know it's written... um, probably around 65 to 68 AD. Probably the temple has not uh, fallen yet, been destroyed. It probably would have been mentioned as one of the big arguments for the uh, case of of looking to a heavenly temple if it had already happened. So it was probably just before that time. And really, the, the occasion for writing is this, that they were facing difficulties, similar to what you and I face, and even potentially some doubts as they were following Jesus in the midst of such a skeptical and even at times hostile culture, it was hard to step up and identify with Jesus. It was hard uh, because people would would question that or even make fun of that or even come against you in true physical persecution because of that. And we also know they were suffering. And really, the the, the big deal here, the purpose of this letter is is to showcase Jesus, like I said, and to encourage them and to encourage us to stay fixed in faith on Jesus. And here's why. Because the main message of this book, okay, I I made it easy for you. You ready? We called the series, Jesus is Better. Can y'all say that with me? Jesus is better. One more time, kids, everybody, here we go. Jesus is better. If you can understand and remember the series title that we've given this study of Hebrews, then you can understand and remember the core message, the core message of this book. The core message of this book is that with every comparison, you compare Jesus to any other thing, and you will find that he is better. (laughs) He is better in everything. Every way. In fact, if you go to the next screen, uh, I'll, I'll pull aside just for a second to show you this. Um, Hebrews really is a book of evaluation. And here's why I know this is the main message. In the book of Hebrews, that word better is used 13 times. Over and over, the writer himself is, is taking things that we're familiar with, and he's comparing them to Jesus, and he's going, if you make these comparisons, I want you to. I want you to make the evaluation, but I want you to find in any, every circumstance, against any, in every other thing, Jesus is better. He is better. He uses the word perfect 14 times. Now to an Enneagram one. Anybody know Enneagram? I'm an Enneagram one, and this speaks to me, okay? This speaks to me. <laughs> Enneagram ones are always looking, um, we always can easily identify the one thing, the one aspect that needs to be improved. It's just how we're made, Okay personality. I, I can look at something, and I can, I can see the good, but I can also see that which needs to be improved. And one of the, the great joys of an Enneagram One's life is to walk into a situation, to behold a person. Now, it's one of the, one of the reasons it's so fun to go to professional sports games, because you look at someone, or, or to, to behold an incredible work of art in an art museum, it just, ooh just gives me all the feels. Because you look at something, and you're like, there is no way that could be better. And you realize, I can't find anything wrong with it. And for an Enneagram 1, that is just the height of like, woo. And the writer of Hebrews, over and over and over, 14 times in this book, looks at Jesus and he just goes, Whoo! There, As you behold him, you will find there is nothing to be improved with him. He is perfect in every way. And that ought to lead us to worship. And he over and over describes Jesus as eternal. He is unchanging. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Over and over again, friends. Y'all say it with me. What is our series title? Here's what the message is. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Now here's why this is important. If we go back to the other slide. The importance of this is, is, is this. That we are called. One of our core measures of a disciple is gospel centrality, an identity rooted in the grace of Jesus, finding sufficient satisfaction, security, and purpose in Him. Our calling as the people of God is to look to Jesus and to find in Jesus everything that we could ever want or need. We are made for Him. Our hearts, our happiness, our hopes our security, our dreams, our purpose and passions. We are made for Him. And friends, the reason this book is so important is because if you don't know that He is better in every way, if you don't really know Him, then you will be tempted to turn to something other than Him. And that's what the Bible calls as idolatry, turning to something else for your satisfaction when really He's the best turning to something else for your security, turning to something else for purpose. If you don't know Jesus in these ways, your heart will look for it somewhere else, but somewhere else is never going to satisfy because Jesus alone is the one your heart was made for. So this is why the book is so important. Y'all getting excited yet? Should I keep talking to make you more excited? Should I keep explaining, or can we actually dive in the Word? Y'all open your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 1. And uh, what, what I'm going to do today is very ambitious. I'm going to try to get through three verses, okay? So what do you all think? We can do it? Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And the title of today's message, because I knew I wanted to do a little introductory uh, uh, information about the book, so I, I kept the, the, the passage that we're studying a little shorter for today. But the title of today's message, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, is Better Than Prophets. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3, and I'm going to read from the ESV. The Word says this, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by the Son, His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. On high. I'll go ahead and read verse 4, even though it bridges into next week. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus is better. And today we're going to be looking at how he is better than the prophets. If you would write down maybe this core truth, I think it could be helpful, all right? And, he, and here it is, because I'm really basing it right here on verses 1 and 2. Jesus is the fullest, the final revelation of God and what he is like. Okay? The author of Hebrews starts out and he says, I want you to know something. When you come to Jesus, he is the fullest and he is the final revelation of God who God is and what he is like, right? As soon as you write it down, I'd love for you to say this with me so that we can kind of drill it in for the day because if we miss this, we kind of miss a lot. So if y'all will, read this with me. Jesus is the fullest, final revelation of who God is and what he is like, all right? So what I want to do is go back to the scripture, If you go back to the scripture um, and you look at verse 1 there, what you see is this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, one of the first things that I want you to pay attention to, which is why I had them underlined, is I want to... Sometimes we take things for granted, and I don't want us to take for granted that God is a God who speaks. Your God is a God who is able and willing to communicate with us. Can you imagine, can you imagine our world, can you imagine your life if God was a God who chose not to speak after everything went wrong? if God was a God who withheld revelation of who he was, if God was a God who did not communicate in ways and wooing and winsome ways to us, one of the most wonderful things is that our God is a God who speaks. He's a God who actively communicates. He's a God who reaches out, who desires for us to know him If you're watching with us today, uh, I would just want to encourage you. I I know that there are several people who are watching today who, who are really trying to understand who God is. And what I want to just remind you of is that we have a God who wants you to understand who He is. And we're not left on our own trying to figure it all out. We can go to Him and we can go to His Word with confidence. And we can know that He speaks. Listen. To what he says of who he is and what he's like. He desires to communicate with us. One of the coolest things, though, okay, I want to walk you through the text because I love the Bible and it's so so fun to study. So if you look at it, the writer is making a comparison, okay? Look at what he's comparing. Com- comparison. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. Look at what he's comparing. He's comparing the time long ago to the time in these last days, and he's comparing two different ways in which God has spoken, and I've got them circled here. One is by the prophets, okay, and the second way is, is by the Son, right? So hopefully you're marking up your Bible or you're finding a way to write notes because the, again, the writer is, is, he's actually moving us to evaluate He's saying God is a God who speaks, but I I want you to see the ways in which God has spoken. God has spoken by the prophets, and also God has spoken uh, by His Son. Now, interestingly, by the prophets, we could draw some arrows up into the text and and look at how um, he's basically saying, if you look at how God spoke through the prophets, what we see is that it was kind of fragmented. This is essentially what he's saying. There was a fragmented communication. It's God speaking. But he spoke over time. In fact, it was not just one time, over a lot of time, and many different times. He speaks, for instance, in Genesis 1, and he creates the universe by speaking, and it becomes something out of nothing. Uh, When God created Adam and Eve, he spoke to them, and he helped them to know who he was and what he desired. He continued to speak to almost every generation that, that followed. He spoke to Moses in that thundering cloud on Mount Sinai. He spoke by giving the Ten Commandments. He, he speaks to other prophets. And we could go through the different times in which he has spoken, but the reality is God has spoken through the prophets at many different times. And if you look here, he also uh, not just speaks through many different times, but he speaks in many different ways, okay? Um, there's many different ways in which he has spoken. If you look at just the way that God has spoken through prophets like Moses or Samuel or Elisha or Isaiah or Jeremiah, he is faithfully speaking. They are bearing witness to the communicated word of God for his people. But there's different ways in which he's speaking. I've spoke to the thunderous voice on Mount Sinai, but he also speaks in a still, small voice. He speaks directly but he also speaks through natural events, for instance. God speaks in many different times, but he also speaks in in many different ways. He speaks with direct revelation. He speaks through angels. He speaks through dreams. He speaks through natural phenomenon, in thundering storms, and also in gripping stories. He also speaks in word pictures, and he speaks in miracles. He speaks in many different times, Right? And in many different ways. That is part of how God has spoken. But the writer of Hebrews wants you to understand something that God's communication to us from the very beginning, through all of these times, through all of these different people, through all of these different ways, has meant to be culminated in a full and final sense. It was all leading to a moment that really God would not be speaking through other people, but he would be speaking to us himself. And the writer of Hebrews says, I want you to understand that the word that was prophesied has now come true. This is what 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10-12 through 12 references. You can look at it later. I'm not going to spend time teaching it today. But he says, concerning the salvation, the prophets prophesied about all of this that was coming, inquiring of what time the Spirit of Christ would actually come where there would be a full and final word. And what Hebrews says is, look at this, in these last days... God has spoken, but he hasn't spoken to us through other people, and it hasn't come as a fragmented message. He has spoken to us by coming himself. He has spoken to us in the Son, who is Jesus. The Word, remember John chapter 1? The Word, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John 1 says, and the Word has become flesh. The Word, the Logos, the eternal speaking of God, the Word has become flesh in these last days. In other words, he's talking to you from the time of the birth of Christ to now. God is speaking. But he's speaking not in a fragmented way over many seasons. He's speaking in a direct and full and, yes, in a final way. And this is how he's speaking. He's speaking in his Son, and his name is Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And now, friends, we can know God's speech to us. Here's how. By knowing Jesus. Do you see? Jesus is Better. There wasn't any prophet that could give a full and final revelation of God. But Jesus is not an ordinary prophet. Something greater is here. Jesus is God. And when he speaks, he speaks with fullness and finality of who God is and what he's like. So let's go back here and read it together again. Jesus is the fullest final revelation of who God is and what he is like. Um, The only thing I can think to give you today to help you understand this a little bit, y'all ever had a friend or maybe yourself ever been engaged? Anybody here? Anybody ever known anybody that's been engaged? Okay. I don't know about you, um, I like watching how people get engaged. Um, I'm a big fan, guys, of you romancing your girl, okay? Okay. I don't want to see some just random McDonald's date and then suddenly you just pop it open. All right, that is lame. Nobody wants that. No girl wants that. All the girls, y'all can thank me later. I'll be looking for your thank you notes this week. But um, the reality is girls want to be wooed. They want to be romance. They want to, oh, so you got to plan this stuff, all right? Now, one of the coolest engagements that I've seen is, and I won't call them by name, but when this guy decided that he wanted to propose. He decided that he was going to take his girl on a little scavenger hunt. And essentially, what he was going to do is he was going to have her with a friend show up somewhere, and that friend was basically going to give her a little information about what that guy wanted to speak to her, about the love that he had for her, and the value that he had for her, and, and, and just the incredible beauty that he saw in her. And he spoke through this friend. But the friend gave a clue to go to another friend, essentially. And this girl ends up going from one to another, to another, to another. And basically, on this, on this journey, she's hearing a little bit more of what this guy, what her eventual fiance wants to say to her. I'm slobbering. I'm sorry. I don't know why. Maybe I got excited. And I was just feeling so romantic. Um, it was sweet. So he's basically uh, f- communicating through these different people. Okay? And she's learning a little bit more, learning a little bit more, learning a little bit more all the while. Well, the whole thing was set up to eventually get her to the place where he was. And all of those little pieces of paper that she had collected along the way that were all true of who he was and what he was wanting to say to her, all of those culminated in this moment where she saw him face to face. And the greatest of things that he wanted to say to her, in fact, the culmination, the final thing that he wanted to say to her was, I love you so much. And he gets down on his knee and everybody knows the moment. All the girls go, oh, will you marry me? It was all meant to lead to that point. Now, just because he wasn't there himself along the way doesn't mean those other messages weren't true of him. They also reflected who he was and what he was like and what he desired. But they wouldn't have been complete if she had not gotten to that final point where he could communicate face to face in full and final sense who he was and what he was like and communicate with her for a relationship forever. This friends is the difference. It, it would have not worked if she had stopped with any of those other friends. It was all meant to drive her, that all of that speaking previous was meant to drive her to the point that she saw him face to face, and he got to say from his heart to her face what he really wanted to say, and to make the commitment that he wanted to make. Listen, friends, in, in some failed way, I know this analogy has failed in some ways, but I, I hope it helps you understand the difference, the difference here of Jesus and the other prophets Because the other prophets were like those friends along the way. Yes, they were speaking truth of who he was and what he was like, but they were trying to get us to the point that we would know Jesus himself and be able to hear from him and come into a relationship with him forever. Amen? This is what it looks like to to know and to worship Jesus as better than the prophets. Now, as the passage moves on, we get a list. And essentially this list is a list of seven things, and I hope you'll make the list with me, okay? Eventually this list, um, essentially, not eventually, this list is a summary list of really kind of where he's going with the book. This list helps to support our understanding of how much better Jesus is than any other messenger before. But also it serves in some ways as almost like a, a bit of a preview for what is to come in the rest of the book. And so we're gonna make this list together And the list is how Jesus is better than prophets. He is better. And we're going to go through this list, and we're going to look at it in these these seven ways. And the list is just straight from the Scripture. Okay? So look back at your Bible. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Now, here starts the list, because we get to know the Son. Number one, look at this in your Scripture. Whom He appointed the heir of all things. Okay? So the first thing on our list is this. Jesus is the appointed heir. He is the appointed heir of all things. Okay? Y'all writing that down? I'm hoping everybody's taking notes because I want you to be a student of the Word. I don't want you to just listen to me teach. I want you to learn it so that you might be a worshiper, a disciple, and ultimately, friends, I want you to teach this to someone else. Whether it's one-on-one or whether it's in a group in the future, I want you to be able to know the word for yourself, but also know it so that you can help someone else in it. So number one, as we look at who Jesus is and how superior he is in every way, we see that he is the appointed heir of all things. Now, basically what he's doing here is he's going back and referencing Psalm chapter 2. Okay? He's going back and he's referencing Psalm chapter 2. And in fact, he quotes it just a little bit further down, right, in verse 5. But I want to just ask you to write down the reference because what he says here in Psalm 2, it's a messianic psalm. In other words, it's a psalm that was written by a prophet one long ago. But again, that prophet was pointing us to know Jesus. And he says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. Ask of me. And I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Now, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this psalm, this promise, this prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the appointed heir of all things. God owns everything in the universe. And like a king in a, in a royal court, God the Father has appointed His Son to be the heir of everything. He owns everything. There is, this doesn't mean there's a time that Jesus did not own everything. He's always been God. But it's a way to emphasize this unique and very eternal relationship with Jesus the Son and God the Father. And in this way, He is far superior to all the prophets. And yes, friends, you know probably the scriptures that speak to the fact that now in Christ, we have become heir of all things, but we are not the heir of them on our own. We benefit from the reality that Jesus himself is the heir of all things. Our, Our receiving from God is tied to all that Jesus has received from him. And no other prophet, no other prophet before him, this has ever been spoken to. All of them pointed to a time that there was one coming who was the recipient of all that God owned, all of his favor, all of his grace, all of his blessing, all of his joy. I mean, you name it, all of God, all of God, Jesus inherits. And he shares that with all who are in him. Jesus is better than prophets. Number two, we we'll go back to the text and what we see. It's not only is he the appointed heir of all things, but through whom also he created the world. Okay? So he speaks of Jesus through whom, talking about through Jesus, also God, God created the world. So the second thing on our list is this. Jesus is the one who made all things. He is the one who made all things. Y'all writing it down? Jesus is not only the heir of all things, but he is the one who made all things. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He's speaking of Jesus. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made through him. Every, everything in this universe, every star in the sky, every particle, every atom, every person, every tree, every mountain, every bird, every galaxy that we look at, that we haven't even discovered yet, all things were made through Jesus. And without him, there was nothing made that has been made. Colossians also affirms this in chapter 1, verse 16. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, For by him, talking of Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven, all right? Things above, and then things here on earth. The Grand Tetons, the Grand Canyon, Starbucks lattes. Just saying, every ingredient in it. Well, you know what I'm saying. Thank the Lord for pumpkins. I'm just saying, it's fall. I love some pumpkin spice latte. Everything, everything, from the biggest of big to the most unknown of unknown to the most known of known and the smallest of small, all things, heaven and on earth. Listen to this too. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, do you know who you're coming to when you come to Jesus? Do you really know? Do you really know how great and how powerful he is? Oh, yes, he's gentle and lowly of heart, but he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He created all, all things, even dominions and rulers or authorities, all things. Y'all say that with me. All things were created through him and were created for him. From the very beginning, when Genesis chapter 1 We read, let us make man in our image. Jesus is there. He is part of the us. To what we know today, all are created through him and for him. Friends, this is not an ordinary prophet. This is not just another in the line. No, this is God. Jesus is God, and he is better. He is better. In every, in every way. Number three, we look back at the text and look at y'all's verse three in your Bible. Look at your Bible. What does it say? He is the what? He is the radiance of the glory of God. Now, when you say radiance, you got to smile and you got to say it with enthusiasm, okay? Everybody with me? He is the radiance. Are y'all wearing masks? I didn't see your smile, okay? Um, Just messing with you. Here's the thing. This is a beautiful word. It's meant to cause awe and wonder. The scripture says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. So number three on our list is this. It's just repeating what she said. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Okay? Jesus is the radiance. He is the radiance of God's glory. Now, if you go back to the text and you look at it, here's what this means. The picture is of rays that are shining forth from the source of light. In other words, if, if, you, if you, y'all know those days where the sun is just so bright and you, and you have that moment, maybe you've taken that picture or seen that picture where this, the rays just emanate off of the sun and you just behold it and you're like, whoa, like how beautiful is that? What the Bible is saying is, Jesus is is the ray beam of the light of the sun. He is the light itself. There's no separation of the beam from the light. It is the light, but it's the light as we see it and know it. He is the ray beam, the beauty of the glory of God. When you behold Jesus, you are looking at the spectacular brilliance of the the light itself. God. God. You are looking at God. He's the radiance of the glory of God. This is why in John chapter 1, verse 14, and I hope you'll be able to write all these references down, okay? It says, the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And then look at what he says. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, John, John writes to us and he says, look, um, when we got to know Jesus, like, we, we were kind of aware that, like, we were witnessing the glory of God. Like, this was, this was like, pretty special here. Like, the, the entire glory of God, the brilliance of who God is, was made manifest to us in the person of Jesus. The glory of God has taken on flesh and has dwelt among us, and it made himself known to us. But when you get to know Jesus, you are getting to know the radiance of the glory of God. This is why 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, another reference for you to write down, it says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, one of the things that happens in our hearts when we come into a relationship with Jesus, he like turns a, a light bulb on, and this light shines in our hearts, and it, it illuminates darkness, and it leads us to knowledge of the glory of God. But how is this glory of God seen to us? The glory of God is seen to us in the face of Jesus Christ. I really think so much of our life, we search and search and search and search for something that will just capture our hearts. And one of the things that the writer of Hebrews is doing here is he's saying the thing that is meant to capture your heart is Jesus. He is brilliant in his splendor. You will never come to an end of the day that that light, that his rays will not keep shining and illuminating and filling and satisfying and securing and giving passion and purpose. You will never come to an end of the radiance of Jesus, for he is the very radiance of the glory of God. How cool is that? I mean, the glory of God, that that Moses, you remember when he was on the mountain and God said, I'm going to pass before you, but I'm going to put my, my hand over you because I, if you see my face, you're going to die. The cloud that hovered by day, the glory of God, the fire by night, that, that sense of glory that was evoked in both the tabernacle and the temple, now, now can be made manifest. And it's been done so in Jesus. This is why, you remember in Mark, it's also repeated in the other Gospels, but remember Mark chapter 9, when, when Jesus took Peter and James and John up to the high mountain, and he was transfigured before him, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, and no one on earth could bleach them. What he's doing is showing them who he really is. He is the radiance, the radiance of the glory of God. I like what one writer said. He says this, Jesus is the un, an unspotted mirror of the person and working of God, an image of his goodness, an unspotted mirror of the radiance of God. Isn't that cool? Do you know who Jesus is? He's better in every way. Number four, Number four, not only is he the radiance of the glory of God, but number four, we see that he is, look at what the scripture says, what does it say? The exact imprint of his nature. Do y'all see that? He is the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. This is affirmed in other places. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, for instance, the scripture says that he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, we read in their case the god of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is he is the image of God. Okay? He himself is the image of God. Now, in both of these verses that I just read, the Greek word that's used there for image is the word icon, which basically means what we know of image. But interestingly, if we go back to Hebrews 11 and we look at verse 3, the Greek word that is used in this verse is the word character. Does that sound familiar to anybody? (laughs) Character. It's an even stronger understanding of how Jesus is the exact imprint. That's why we translate it this way. He is the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. He's not a copy of God. He is the original. He is the exact expression of God. Um, In ancient times, you would form a coin and you would heat up metal, and then you would put it into uh, the, the stamp, and you would press it, right? And essentially, you would end up with a coin. And even though the coin and the die would be distinct, to see the coin is to see the die. Okay? And this is the word picture that's being evoked here. He's saying to, un- to know Jesus is to know God. If you want to know who God is, and you want to know what he's like, look at Jesus. Look at him with the sick. Look at him with the poor. Look at him with the religious. Look at him with the oppressed. Look at him with the little children. Look at him on the cross. Look at him triumphant from the dead. If you want to know who God is and what he's like, just look to Jesus. Jesus is the character. He is the character of God. This is different than any other prophet. Jesus is better, far better in every way for to know Jesus His to know God. This is why Jesus said to Philip, remember in John chapter 14, to see me is to see the Father. He is the exact embodiment, representation of his being. Fifth, we go back to the scripture. Number five, we see this. Not only is he the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, but then we see this, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So write that down as this. Number five, he upholds all of the created order. That's fifth on your list. If you want to know who Jesus is, and you want to know how superior he is in every way, you have to understand this. He upholds all of the created order. If you look back at the text, that word uh, when it says "by the word of his power," it's not like Atlas with the world on his shoulders. It's not really that picture. What, what what it really is is more by the enabling power of Jesus, by the fact that even right now he carries on all things. Jesus is the one who enables all. It, it's by the word of his power that all things are upheld. It's what is affirmed also in Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 where the scripture says and he is before all things and in him in Jesus all things hold together. Jesus is upholding all things by his mighty word. Number 6. We read in the scripture as we go on look at the end of verse 3. You look at your bibles. After making purification for sins. After making purification for sins. This means that there's another thing. There's another thing that makes Jesus better than all others. All has been pointing to this moment, and we're going to be talking about this so much as we go through the book of Hebrews in detail of how this is possible and what Jesus has done. Because the book of Hebrews is divided and the first section that we're looking at here is talking about his person, and then we're going to talk a lot about his priesthood and what he's done to make purification for sins. And then at the end of the book, we'll talk more about the life that he offers us and what it looks like to really trust and follow him. But here at the beginning, he's giving a preview of what is to come. So we'll add this to our list, number six, that Jesus makes purification, Jesus makes purification for sins. Jesus makes purification for sins. Um, All of us, All of us have sinned. All of us have gone astray. All of us, like sheep, have turned to our own way, and all of us are deserving of separation from God. All of us are desperately needy, desperately broken, desperately helpless without help from God Himself. All of us struggle with guilt. All of us struggle with shame. All of us struggle with a sense of alienation from God, a sense of being undeserving, and all of us look around for what it is that can make our hearts right, what it is that could heal the brokenness within, what it is that could finally bring a true and lasting peace with God, a true and lasting satisfaction in life. We all need forgiveness, and yet we cannot forgive ourselves because our offense is against another. And we must The only way to have peace is to have forgiveness from the one we've offended. And the reality is that one of the things that makes Jesus so beautiful is he comes as the radiance of God himself, the one who has all power, who's created all and who sustains all, the one who is the very embodiment of God. And he comes not to be served. I mean, of all beings, he deserves to be served, but the Bible says he comes to serve. And more important than that, he come to give his life as a ransom for many. Ultimately, Jesus came to offer forgiveness for all who put their trust in him. And Jesus has done the work. We'll look at it through this book of Hebrews. Jesus has done the work in his life for righteousness, in his death for forgiveness, and in his resurrection from the dead. He has done the work to put us right with God. And there's no way else for it to be possible, only through Jesus. And the writer comes out, and he's giving a preview, and he says, this Jesus is not like any other prophet. For all the other prophets were leading ways to, to kill animals, to wash yourself, to try to figure it out. But Jesus, they, that never helped on the inside. Jesus has come to bring true forgiveness in your heart, true relief, true restoration and reconciliation with God. He has come to make you new. And he made this possible by making purification for sin. Praise God for Jesus Christ. Amen? And last but not least, number seven. Y'all ready for it? Number seven. It says, after making purification for sin. So after he did this work, he did do this work. But after he did it, what did he do? It says, he sat down. At the right hand of the majesty on high. Number seven is this. Add to the list. Jesus now has a powerful reign that is limitless. Jesus now has a powerful reign that is limitless. Can't talk this morning. He has a powerful reign that is limitless. We'll talk more about it in the future as we study the book. But the reality is it is a huge deal. That Jesus, our high priest, after making atonement for our sin, he said, it is finished. He went to the grave, and three days later, he rose again from the dead, and he lives today. But when he ascended, he ascended to the right hand of God, that seat of all power, and he sat down indicating that it is finished. Therefore, he has been given a reign that is limitless and a reign that was prophesied in Isaiah 9. Of his reign, of his reign, there will be no end. Jesus, basically there's three offices of Christ and he's just gone through them all. Jesus is prophet, better in every way. Jesus is priest, having made purification for sin. And friends, Jesus is king. He is Lord of all. So let me tell you, friends, at the end here, the whole point of this is not just to get bogged down in academic study. Oh, what does this word mean? What is this? Oh, no, this is so complicated. No, 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 no. Okay, let's pause. The whole point of this is to get to a point like David and Vicky were telling me yesterday where they're looking and there's, we're sliding now on our phone we're showing pictures and we're going, oh, my goodness. Do you have, have you seen this? Can you believe this? How amazing is Jesus? The whole point of this is to get us, not trying to get the world to revolve around us, not trying to look to circumstances or other people to to give us uh, what our hearts long for. The whole point of this is to get us, our eyes off of ourselves and off of this world and off of other people and off of present circumstance to Jesus and to go, Jesus, you are better. In everything compared to any other one, you are better. You're the one my heart is made for. You are the radiance of the glory of God. You are the exact imprint of his nature, and my heart is made for you. Oh, God, would you make my heart believe? Would you, would you, would you just fill me, Lord, with your presence? Would you make me believe that you are more than enough for me? Oh, friends, I'm so excited to study this book together. We're moving now to our time of response. But I just, I just want to encourage you today. Maybe there's something today that God has spoken to you. And, and maybe even it's just a simple prayer of just saying, Oh, oh God, oh, God, I, I have been so fixated with so much else. But, God, I know I am meant to be fixated with you. Maybe that's your prayer today. And you just, you just come with simplicity and you say, Oh, God, oh, God, I want my heart to be called up, to be overwhelmed with the glory of who you are. I want to think more deeply of who you are. I want to think more deeply about the fact that you have invited me into relationship with you. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know who he is? And does it amaze you that this Jesus stands and says, come, come to me, come, come to me? And find in me everything, everything, life itself. Find it in me. We're going to be singing a song now, and I hope you don't uh, click off. If you're uh, watching it online or on your phone, I hope you don't leave us just yet because I really believe this song is going to put words in our heart that we need. It's actually a song with the very chorus is, Jesus is better, make my heart believe. If you are one today who has been seeking after God, today you have heard me clearly say to you from God's word that Jesus is God. He's the one who you were made for. He made you, in fact, and he made you for relationship with him. And today, today, if the Holy Spirit of God is tugging on your heart and you know that you're made for relationship with him, today you can repent of your sin. You can just acknowledge your brokenness and your need, how desperately you need help from the outside, you can turn to Jesus and just believe in him, who I proclaimed him to be today, and believe that he can forgive you. You can ask him for forgiveness today because it's not based on what you've done or will ever do. It's based on his gift to you by what he has done for you. And you can just call out to him and say, oh, by your grace, Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you make me new? Today, you can make that choice. And you can just say, oh, God, I want a relationship with you now and forever. I want to live for you as a center of my life you've already made that choice, you can come back to Jesus and just say, oh, Jesus, would you help me to mark a new season today? I'm coming to you, and I'm just asking that you fill me with more of who you are. Make my heart believe. Father, thank you. We pray all of this, trusting in you, rejoicing in you, looking to you. Jesus, you are better. You are better. Make our hearts believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.